comes, it's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 12 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today in The Rambler, I had the pleasure of hosting songwriter Mark Barnowski. Mark grew up with his entire family in the music business. I really enjoyed hearing Mark's history in the music industry and know you will as well. Mark has connected me with several songwriters already and is a very giving person with his time and talents. I know you will enjoy his story as much as I did. And on a side note, Mark was one of the first ones I interviewed with the new podcast, well, previously the one that I that I did under Heart of Nashville, and actually I don't know if he'll mention that name or not, but remember that it's now Nashville Untold. Anyways, we were, I don't know, more than halfway in, and I ended up kicking out the cord on the Zoom recorder, and if you don't stop it versus losing power instantly, you lose the whole file. So we were well into his interview, and we... Thankfully, I had the uh, Amiibo, which was a video recorder going, and I was recording as well through my phone, but I actually didn't catch like the first 10 minutes of that, so we had to go back and ask him one or two of the questions again. And of course, they're not always as good as when you originally ask it, but learned a valuable lesson. Make sure you have batteries in the Zoom recorder so you will never have that happen. Before we jump into Mark's story, I want to take this time to mention the nonprofit of the month. From this point on, I will be taking a minute or two at the beginning of each episode to share about a local nonprofit. The goal will be to have a phone conversation with a nonprofit to learn a few details about what they have going on and how you can get involved. This month, I will be sharing about Tennessee Voices for Children. I have been on the board for the last six months and I was on the interim board for like a year, really just kind of sat back and watched how everything went about. Their CEO is Ricky Harris, and she is as sharp as they come. They have a great staff, and they are doing some tremendous things in Tennessee, and I am learning a lot from being on the board. I was not able to have a convo with Ricky before I released this episode, but I will share about the third annual Green Ribbon Gala event coming up this October the 20th, starting at 6 p.m. It will be a black tie evening of fun while raising hope at the West of Nashville. Your presence emboldens Tennessee progress in removing the stigma of mental health issues for our youth. The evening will celebrate your support in improving our youth's emotional and behavioral well-being through advocacy for children and families, training and technical assistance to parents, educators, caregivers, and screenings. You can check that out at tennesseevoices.org forward slash green ribbon gala and you can learn all about that and how you can get involved and um, and so next episode I will have a little conversation with Ricky and we'll uh, we'll do that for the next three episodes for this month. So now sit back and enjoy Mark's story. So today I'm in Nashville. I'm right across from Opryland Hotel mm-hmm. and the famous Opry. I am sitting down here with Mark Barnowski. 
Nope. It's, it's Barnowski. There it is. <laughs> we practice that quite a bit, and I don't know why. Sometimes it's like, maybe it's a fear of getting it wrong, and then you yeah. just can't get it. I, I don't sh- know. I should let you off the hook. As a songwriter, I go by Barnowski. But as an artist, I use my middle name, Edwards. Okay, that's easy. So Mark it's Mark Edwards. Edwards. And I, I, I always say if I ever make it famous, I can always change it back to Mark Edwards Mellencamp. I like that. Yeah. That's nice. I don't think it's been done. So so tell us, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, I guess, you know, kind of going back to as you're telling us about yourself, your past, and, you know, some experiences that sure. uh, kind of developed who you are now. I can give a, a pretty good scenario of that. Uh, always been in the music. Um, I think uh, turned professional at 12. In fact, um, I wrote my first song when I was 12. And that got recorded on an album when I was 18. I got my first royalty check when I was 19. And I always kid around from then until now, I've made about $3 songwriting. You invested it well, right? I did. I did. A dollar a decade has got me a long way. That's awesome. But uh, from that point, uh, I was with my family group. Um, We we had seven kids in our family. And the three oldest boys, me and my two older brothers, we started a band. My parents paid for our instruments to encourage us as long as we kept at it. And then we'd go out and cut lawns to earn the money to get the microphones, the amps. Our first show was uh, a deaf dance we played at, and it was a great experience. I know it sounds funny, but it was really cool. And then we kind of did sock hops and started doing weddings, and we kept adding family members till all seven of us were together. And at that point, we really hit the uh, pedal for... Uh, trying to turn professional. I mean, we already were, but we wanted to play in, in the big leagues. So we hired a choreographer who uh, was around Vegas during the heyday. And she kind of got us into that uh, Osmond kind of look, uh, Partridge family kind of look. And um, we would sing and dance, play chore- you know, do choreography while we're singing. And we used to travel as much as 50 weeks out of the year. We'd, wow. we'd play Vegas, Tahoe, Reno, Liberace's manager, uh, his son was our manager, so we'd see Liberace when we were in Palm Springs. That was one of our places we uh, worked out of to get into L.A. and things like that. Um, so I had a long, long career in music uh, with the family. Um, the family actually we put out three albums. Um, the last album was um, fantastic called Relation Inc. We had probably a couple hits on there, one that could have gone worldwide. And... Um, we learned a lot from that. I went out on a, a solo career after that, um, and I recorded my first solo album out in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, right there on Bill Street, and had some great producers in that, and um, put that record out, and that charted in Billboard. And The first single was the highest uh, single in uh, Gavin's history. It's one of the uh, reporting magazines. It, was, it went to 15 or something. Wow. It kind of got me... Uh, encouraged me enough to stay in music and continue my songwriting and finally uh, moved out here um, six years ago I wanted to move out here in 90 91 92 but there's some family things that happened my father passed and we needed to stay home and rebuild the family and things like that and help our mom and but uh, so what uh, what what were some of the uh, influences that kind of got you into uh to music, um, thinking back to some young experiences uh, as a kid. A, th- a couple that I can really remember. One, the Monkees. That was back. Beatles. Um, I was, uh, I think, six or seven when they uh, came over. 
in 64. I was seven. It's right. I remember hearing, I want to hold your hand. And we'd put on these um, wigs that we found in the closet with my cousins. They're like, back in northern Michigan, they're probably just snow hats. And we'd take a tennis racket, turn it the other way, and we'd pretend we were the Beatles. Then the monkeys came out and that TV show, that kind of stuff's pretty addicting for a young kid. And I thought, man, I got it. I want to do this. Then we saw the Partridge family, and that was another thing. Hey, man, we're a family, and maybe we can do this. And um, started taking lessons on the guitar, and and my brothers got into it, and um, that kind of was it. That that really poppy music kind of mm -hmm. got a hold of you. Um, so I guess y'all were kind of all feeding off each other, probably to yeah. some degree, or did you have one driving going? Uh, my Let's brother, pursue. my second old, my brother right above me, Walt, Walter, was more of a visionary. And he, he kind of saw the path that we could take, and he was a very smart man, too, very talented. So he came, became our leader, and he was always the guy out front. He, he, he was the one guy that could read all the music, score it all, knew all that stuff. I, I could read music, but I, wasn't, I didn't have the same vision. Um, and he kind of steered us. He, he's the guy that got us to um, build our own recording studio. And we took out loans and invested in that, you know, twenty, thirty, thirty thousand dollars had our own studio, recorded our albums there. Then we'd take our analog gear, which they don't have now. We'd physically take it with us into a major studio, and they would track it and bump it up to a two-inch tape, and that's how we would produce our records that way. And it was very competitive. We had a lot of stuff on the radio. Like I said, almost, we had a number one record in 12 markets uh, at one time, a top 40 thing. Wow. Um, so uh, we kind of, yeah, we did. We fed off each other. And I just kept going. The rest of the family eventually uh, went back, did their CPA stuff, got married. And, but I always uh, pursued music and never, never gave up. How was the, uh, the family dynamics within traveling and stuff? As long as we had our separate rooms. You know? oh, so y'all were like, well, yeah, because I'm picturing girls and the guys. Yeah. We have to split up certain personalities. It's very tough. Um, there's a lot of you folks out there now working with your family and close quarters. We're talking about heavy commitments. Uh, you know, I know sports is, a, you know, you practice every day, but we were doing eight hours a day. Wow. Two four-hour sessions for months and months and months, putting shows together, learning the choreography, arranging the vocals, taking vocal lessons. And so we'd start off the day with vocal lessons and harmony for two hours, go down in the basement, and bang out a couple songs for two or three hours and our choreographer would come over and put it all together. I mean, it was just a lot, a lot of work. So we were always together. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. Were, who was, were y'all all kind of songwriters? Um, I didn't, uh, myself, my brother Wally, who, who was kind of our leader, wrote, started writing. And my brother Steve was a prolific writer. He could write anything. He's pretty much a genius. And, um, we were the writers. We wrote all the songs for the albums huh. that we did, eventually did, and everything, yeah. So as you were growing up, what were some, uh, you know, some pivotal markers in your life that kind of made you either pursue music or, you know, kind of develop your character? Um, pivotal moments. Uh, hmm. I think the biggest thing that kept me in it probably in music, was recording our first um, single. And, um, you know, we, did, we were kind of odd. We didn't, we always like to do things our own, on our own. We didn't go into studios and record. Um, we figured if we're going to be doing this, we're going to build a studio. 
So my brother Wally pretty much spearheaded that, but we built a studio in the house. And um, the but the first single we did, we actually did go into a studio. And that's how we found out how expensive it is and how much time you can spend there. And we recorded a single called Summertime County Fair, which was like a Beach Boys thing. And when and, and the local station, WJR, which was a talk station, they got a hold of it. And when they played it and we heard it, that was kind of like, oh, wow, that's cool. And so that's when we kind of kind of thought, hey, this could be fun. So we started investing in it. My parents were supportive. My dad put a lot of money into our careers, you know, as much as mortgaging the house for our third album. I mean, mm -hmm. we did all that. And you know, was, that was one. I guess hearing your song on the radio when you're like 15 is pretty cool. Which is really interesting because I think about that. You didn't have any of the social media. Yeah. So you had no gauge. Now you can go and sing a song and throw it on YouTube and you watch it and go, hey, how many likes did I get or how many yeah. comments? And Pretty accessible. Yeah, and that can really influence either way, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting to go back, you know, that short time ago you're talking about before social media and what yeah, totally you know what different. would make you keep pursuing it without all of that I think social media drive just a lot a lot more obstacles because it was so intangible i mean it was so accessible in certain ways but so difficult in other ways we didn't have gofundme right so i couldn't sit there and beg my case on social media which i'll never understand i love it but it just makes me a little bit jealous because we had to raise money go out and work. I know people still do that, but we mortgaged the house, mm. you know, $80,000 to finance an album. We're talking about a commitment that can, you know, put you under. So back then you had to do it the hard way. You had to go out and play gigs, live gigs. That was it. You played live gigs, nobody knew you. It wasn't like I did a song and I put it on the internet and become an internet sensation or whatever. You just had to go out and play as many gigs as you could. And it's still kind of that way. Right. If you're serious about right, it. Right, right. Um, so we had to build a following uh, that way. Yeah. That's cool. Um, as far as people, um, who, is there in one person you can think of that had a big influence in your life? Um, it, it, well, my father, I suppose. Um, you know, he was a CPA. He was a self-made man. I mean, he went and started his own business brought in partners. I remember telling one time, says, you know, um, I used to have partners. I thought I couldn't do it on my own. And he said, you can do it on your own. Do it on your own. Because, uh, you know, those relationships can sour in a business. So that gave me a lot of confidence. And I've always, up to this point, have done uh, the music pretty much on my own since I broke up, you know, since the group broke up years and years ago and I stayed in it. I keep thinking, yeah, I can... I can do this. But in Nashville, though, right. you got to co-write. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and it makes you, from what, I, from what I've heard from many musicians, Nashville immediately makes you step up your game if you're, if you're yeah. serious or not. If not, then you better turn that part-time job into a full-time job. Yeah, that's, that's why I wanted to uh, move here, um, because if I'm, if I'm not writing with the blue-chip writers, um, why, you know, if, I'm, if you're not with the best, then you're, you're not kind of in the game. In a lot of ways. Right, right. So how about today? Is there anybody you're following um, that you kind of, a book you're reading or something that's that keeps you going? Um, 
Well, I've, I, I, I dove into a lot of the uh, Christian books, mm-hmm. and, and that I've read a lot of John Bevere books. I love those. Those have helped me stay spiritually grounded. Mm-hmm. Things like that. As far as um, as far as uh, musically, which is uh, you know my two b- biggest passions, of course, are Christ and music. And um, musically, I would say I, I ran into a, a, my first real like friend that really mentored me um he's influenced me a lot i kind of follow his career and i write with him uh, byron hill he's had a ton of hits and he's kind of we've kind of started hanging out and he's kind of had a big influence on my perspective of the business and everything. right because it changed it's just changed so much um i know we're kind of bouncing around but when i originally wanted to move here back in 92 91 just to back up a bit i was a. Uh, uh, I had my own, we had our own record label in Detroit. We did a lot of things on our own. My family formed a record label in Detroit to put out our own product, but we also signed other artists. So we had people like uh, uh, Rob um, Tyner from the MC5, you know, Kick Out the Jams, that guy, a local funny guy, and then my own album, which was in the AC market. And why I'm here today is, yes. is, is partly because what I was doing back then. And back then, we, we did everything on our own. We, we had our own record label. We promoted our own records. I would go to, uh, you know, distribution was a big thing back then, getting radio or play. You can't have one without the other. It was a real hard thing. So we learned how to make radio phone calls. I was, I was doing that when I was 18, calling, uh, um, you know, disc jockeys, music directors, program directors. Code calling, trying to get cold make sales pretty much. Well, right? yeah, and developing relationships with them so they can trust you and, and, and play your music. Uh, that whole thing kind of went to a peak in 91 where I had my own album out. Uh, eventually I did my own thing and it was recorded in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, right on Bill Street. Uh, but that was peaking at that time uh, on our own label out of my dad's offices, we rented like three offices. We promoted our own label and our own branding to adult contemporary radio. And the first single on that song went to, was at 15 on, on the charts in Gavin. It was the highest charting independent record ever on Gavin at the time. And it debuted uh, and it peaked at 43 on the adult contemporary billboard charts. That's out of our house, basically, promoting wow. a record. That put us in a position where um, I thought, wow, man, we got something going here. So we I, actually, my, we were going to move here uh, in 91 and came out here and checked it all out. Um, and, and we knew everybody at the time because uh, my wife at the time was um, in the business and she was with a magazine that was competitive to Billboard. Um, and she was running the charts and we just thought we'd move out here and give it a shot. But then my father passed away unexpectedly. Okay. And at 62, and he was like the pillar of the family. Wow. So that shut down everything. Really? Yeah, stay. I wanted to and had to stay home and and just take care of the family for a very long time. So had you you had moved here, but then had to move back. I picked it all out. Was oh, going to wow. come out here, made connections with everybody. Jim, Ed, Norman. We we were able to reach anybody back then, and it was different oh, than man. it is now. And that was a big turning point. But you know, the amazing thing is. Um, I'm here now, and, yeah. and God can restore anything, and He He knows to, He knows your heart, and me and my wife are out here now, and it's like, we haven't gone on vacation. We've been here six years. 
Well, you need to do that. We got married here, and we still didn't go on a honeymoon because we love this place. <laughs> I never get bored. Wait, do you love it that much, or are you working too much? Well, because uh, you need a vacation know, to we, keep keep rejuvenating. Well, we do those sign. little those little vacations okay. to see family people, but the one the honeymoon one, we haven't done that. We want to go to Hawaii. So. You need to get that planned. I, I, I'm going to do a GoFundMe for that. Hey, you could probably you know, raise some <laughs> Go money. Fun love. I, I, um, <laughs> the last vacation we did, it was a hodgepodge trip to Arkansas. Went saw my family, um, went to Hot Springs, saw some oh, friends. And it was different because normally we're like the beach. Um, if my fam's loving, if they're loving, if they're listening, I love them. But, you know, going home just isn't, you know, a whole lot of excitement when you compare it to a beach or something mm. like that, you know? Um, so yeah, we've never been a big, let's take a week vacation and go s- spend with family. <laughs> we usually just bring my wife's uh, mom along with us and, mm-hmm. and, uh, she, uh, she gets to spend time with the grands and we get some dates. So you need a vacation plan one. I'm going to, I'm going to make you do that. You say, do you have grandchildren? I don't. My grandma would come. Oh. Natalie's mom would come, and so she would have grants. <laughs> no, I have a ten, a ten, and a uh, eight, and a three. So I hope I don't have grandkids. <laughs> well, you know that's you said grand, and, and today um, our first grandchild was born. Today, today. okay, nice. And today in Chicago. How old? Six pounds. Uh, how old what? Like actually, she was born today. Today. Oh, today. Okay. I, I can tell you, it's your, uh, he was born. He. Okay. His name is uh, um, Chase, and about ten thirty. So I don't know, six, seven, nice. six hours. Well, oh. congrats. I know. So, so what are you, Grandpa? What's your cool name? Grandpa. I have no idea what I'm going to be. You know, you haven't decided we're, that yet. We're we're flying out. Uh, we couldn't be there because complications the way things worked out but it wasn't because this podcast just no i wouldn't i wouldn't hold him (laughs) from that we'll be out in chicago next week. well that's exciting wife's uh extremely excited your first grandson that's fun fun. you gonna you already got plans to spoil spoil i know my uh, wife helen does yeah she's been um it's actually her son okay and his wife okay it's my stepson okay step granddad i don't know how to look at it yet yeah i think you just just, say granddad i'm just excited about it yeah i think they dropped the step once it gets higher and i don't like throwing the step in there yeah it's like i'm I'm legit i'm not step there you go so um so pretend you know this isn't a facebook post okay think about real life and what you've, I guess, kind of your journey, what have been some struggles? Um, yeah, struggles. Um, hmm. Well, uh, my father passing, that was a struggle. Um, at the time, he had a rather large CPA firm, and uh, the whole family worked there. I even, uh, the only real job I ever had, because I've always done music, was uh, worked for him for two years. And um, in fact, I, I remember being on an audit, all right, where you count stuff. And uh, I'd have the radio out in the background. We had a, an album out at the time, and we had a single that was charting. And it was, uh, so I would hear it in Detroit, a pretty big station, a Q95. And I'd be hearing my song, and I wrote, no, no. I'm going, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? I'm counting nails and things. <laughs> and my career's over here. And it was a real struggle because I wanted to help my dad out. I wanted to, but I still was, you know, 
Um, so that was a, a weird part of trying to decide what to do, take a leap of faith, because I wasn't cut out to be an accountant. Right. You know, and that was when he passed, is that right? Or that was before say, he passed. Okay. We were, and then shortly after, okay. in 87, 88, we were having ch some chart success in that arena. And then 92, so it was shortly after. So I, I started working for him, I think, in 90 or, or 80, 88, 89, right when actually our career was taken off in different ways it's weird you get married and you have to say oh i need to settle down i need to do this and i was trying to but i was working against the grain and that was hard to kind of like i don't want to do this and what ended up happening when my father passed was well i just stopped doing that and pursued the uh, record career yeah, so your dad must have had a pretty big impact because yeah. obviously you all were together with the music, and yeah. then you said you all worked with him in the C yeah, CPA we for very close, close knit family. So how how'd you get through it? What made you you know say all right? Obviously a tough decision because your dad's passed, mm -hmm. and you now are possibly leaving your family. You well, know, to strangely enough, uh, the business I was working when I was working with him. I kind of pulled away and started working uh, on our music career at the same time. It was kind of odd. We formed this promotion company. We've always promoted our own records, and back then you could. And um, so we had this record label, and we rented space out of his uh, CPA firm. We had three offices. So I started working as a record label promoter guy. And so our, we started calling radio stations. That was our specialty. And the, the record that was taken off happened to be my record uh, on the adult contemporary field. So, and we were on computers back then. We were very scientific. We could talk to 50 to 100 program directors in one day. We were, really had it down. My brothers put it all together. I made the calls. They kind of did the genius behind the computers. But we were doing so well promoting these records. In fact, I had a, 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 a Jim Woods was my radio name, and I'd be calling sometimes on my own record. I'm calling for Mark Edwards. And we, you know, hi Jim, I know it's really strange. Um, but they, that was kind of what they did in the radio business. Hollywood Hendrix, there's ten of those, you know. So we were promoting my record, and it started doing really, really well. And we started getting all these phone calls, like who's who's Mark Edwards. What label is he on? What is this? What's going on? And these were all industry people, Columbia Records, Arista. People were calling us saying, who's promoting your records? Because we were promoting the secondary markets and we were charting this stuff. And so all of a sudden we started getting all this work from major labels. And in a year or two's time, everything changed around where this little company we formed, um, my father passed in the middle of it all, but we were just starting this company, it became the breadwinner. We were making all kinds of money. We were promoting 10, 15 records at a time, and we could do it the way we had the system. And so we were sort of supporting the family that way. And as my brothers kind of took over the firm and tried to get things rocking that way, because you, know, you lose a lot of business when you lose the main, right. the main person. And so all of a sudden, I, I, I went from a musician uh, to where I thought it was going to be going on tour. I turned into a promoter. And we were good at it, and um, we promoted almost anybody you can think of in the 90s that were big. Mariah Carey, Michael Bolton, Billy Joel, Sean Coven. My first gold record as a promoter was Michael W. Smith. Really? Wow. Um, Bruce Hornsby. Um, yeah. We did the Leanne Rimes record, How Do I Live? We were responsible. I got gold records and platinum records on the wall for that. 
And that all just started happening. And for the next 10 years, that's what we did. And we had two offices, one in L.A. and one in Detroit. And me and my brother ran it. And all of a sudden, I was a promoter instead of a, you know, a yeah. musician. Just so, like that. <laughs> so do you think um, kind of you're more doing independent and growing your own business, basically? You didn't have a lot of overhead and people doing everything and marketing for you, right? No, we did it all. So do you, do you think now with social media and the availability to promote yourself that it's kind of shifting back towards that direction versus having so much, you know, overhead because, you know, once you get so many more people involved, obviously you're, you're losing some of your profit, but uh, you know, cause it seems like, like I was, Matt Carney is one of my favorite artists and mm. I know he recently left his label and he seems that he might, I don't know how he's structured, but if he's doing more independent type stuff. Um, but is that transitioning at all? For the industry or for like me? Well, for the industry. Uh, yeah, it looks like it. I mean, the radio is kind of a closed door game now. I mean, back then there was still the opportunity. If you had a hit record, it could break through regardless of, uh, sometimes regardless of who's behind it. I mean, we proved that. Uh, in 87 we did that with um, it was our one two our third album with the family it's called we called ourselves Relation because of the Barnowski thing okay no more key, key value to that right right and um, we had a uh, we did a, a record with a guy named Kim Folly Ali Oop he was also the producer of Runaways he had long history and with a local guy named Gary Spaniola um we produced this album and we had a song on it called I Think We're Alone Now, which was a Tommy James single or a hit a long time ago. So anyway, we took that record and promoted it on our own and we were able to get into all the right doors. And we had like Chicago added the first week. This was going to be a worldwide hit. This was an amazing record. We broke it in the dance clubs for six months and then we put the single out. Um, long story short, uh, Tiffany happened to have the same oh, yeah? song because it was a cover tune on her album. Her first single didn't do as well. They got wind of it. They put it out and we could not compete with MCA and their kind of money. But we went number one in 12 markets. So back then you could get to radio. I mean, you could talk to the program director, the music director. You could get them to listen to it. Even if they were uh, L.A. or Boston, because we talked to all those people. We had L.A. lined up. They were going to add it the very next week because Chicago already had it. Detroit was coming in. Boston. We had it all lined up. You could get through these people. Uh, well, I used to call it polite persistence. You call them up during their call schedules. You talk to them. It's just like anybody else. And it, and it could work. Now those doors are closed, except for the very, very small I would, they're not even secondary markets. They're kind of even in really mom and pop type shops, which are fine. Those you can still get to. Uh, so I think social media is probably the only outlet for new artists, really. I mean, because the chances of uh, a YouTube hit or some other sensation, it's actually there. Something can go viral. It's actually really exciting. If I was starting a career back up, I'd be very excited about it because there's no money involved. Right. Yeah. We had to finance everything. You know, we had to worry about selling records. It's almost like now you don't have to worry about it too much. Someone else pays for it through Kickstarter. You put it out there, it hits or it doesn't hit. You don't seem to lose anything. You know? Right. Right. Maybe time. I don't know. So kind of piggybacking on what you were just talking about and 
you know, your history of, of uh, obviously songwriting mm-hmm. and then self-promoting and promoting others mm-hmm. um, kind of ties into what you're doing now. Um, and with what you're doing, obviously you're impacting uh, many lives. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, I said I moved here six years ago from Detroit. We call that Motown and uh, you call Nashville Music City. So I went from uh, Motown to Music City. So you could almost call me Eminem if you wanted. Mm. And uh, when I got here, I was like everybody else. You know, I, I didn't know anybody. We started a completely new life, bought a home and uh, had no careers going to say we had to pretty much start over. Um, I tried to plug into all some of the local networking uh, tools they have out here, some of the organizations. Um, there's a lot of good good ones out there, four or five, and I joined uh, those. But the one I uh, kind of latched on to was the Tennessee Songwriters Association International called TSAI. And um, I just signed as a member and started networking within the group, co-writing amongst the other um, with the other members. And um, eventually they asked me to, uh, they found out a little bit of my background and history and marketing, promotion, that type of thing. And they asked me on the board and I became a, a board member. And I've been a board member now, I think about four years or three, almost four years. Um, and I'm the membership uh, director. Um, but what this organization does and what I try to do as a member and as a board member is uh, we mentor, um, we help. There's such an influx of uh, musicians and songwriters that come in, some experience, some inexperience, and, and really that they, they don't have anywhere to go, and, and hence all these organizations. They try to take them in, make them family, show them the ropes, try to get them connected. And we're like that. Uh, the difference between us and some of the others is we're um, completely nonprofit and all volunteer. Uh, none of the board members, nobody makes any money on this. And we just started a non, uh, also a 5013C so we can take uh, contri- you know, donations and things like that. But uh, what I try to do and what we try to do is just connect young songwriters or uh, any, any age songwriter actually. And we've become pretty pretty good at uh, helping them out, connecting with uh, co-writes. Uh, for a while here, uh, we organized a record store that which we had out in the Cool Springs uh, Mall. It was our own store within a store, and we sold a product there. We sold their CDs. They had a platform besides social media. They had a, a brick and mortar place where you could say, "Oh, you can buy my album over here at Artisan Market at the T- Tennessee Songwriters Record Shop." We had books in there um, from some of the more famous local writers, guys like, uh, well, I'm going to not come up with the right names because I'll probably leave someone else. But we had books, CDs we were selling, and we had a stage in there which we would have performances. And we'd have hit songwriters come in, people like uh, Aaron Enderlin and Bobby Tomberlin, Byron Hill. just a bunch of cool things like that. That was our way of trying to connect and, and, and give our members uh, some more stability in the market, you know. Um, so um, Tennessee Songwriters, is, I'm still involved with that, and um, it's it's cool. We're right over here across from the Opry. We're in, we're in the, actually in the parking lot right now, so um, I would say that would be one of the best ways I've got to um, connect with other artists and other songwriters and industry people, publishers, record labels, things like that. Yeah, I'm sure there's, a, I would imagine, if all these um, musicians coming in, 
know your history, there's obviously a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. in that brain of yours. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. We try to share that. With everybody in this town pretty much tries to give back, which I think is really cool. It's not like any other town. The community here for songwriters is really strong. It's like it's not really competition as much as we're all rooting for the same, you know, for the same thing. We're happy for the other guy, you know. Right. They win, we win. That's all. Right. Right. Yeah. I was actually, um, I was talking to my wife today and Nashville is such a great market. There's a lot of people getting in real estate. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I get excited about it, which others can tell that I really like it. So they Mm -hmm. come to me at times going, hey, I'm thinking about getting into it. And I love sharing it. Um, But sometimes, you know, you're in similar markets and networks so when somebody new gets in you might lose a deal because you know they might want to uh refer that person you know and so it can be a bummer but it's like i told now i said you know you that's just part of it and mm-hmm. uh, uh me like you um you know we have an ultimate provider so we don't get caught so much in the details as long as we're Same. we're working hard um but it's uh it makes you also think of how to reinvent yourself or what can you do different to stand out, you know, from others. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's again, kind of go back to the cool thing that you probably bring is, is that, that knowledge cause you've had different seasons of being in the music industry. Um, with that <clears throat> and kind of thinking about, um, you know, uh, being married mm-hmm. and, um, having kids, looking back over your years what's something that you would pass on to people in those different stages of life that you're like all right i possibly would do that a little different Mm. yeah there's a (laughs) boy if we did that i'd be here forever talking about (laughs) the things some of the key things right some of the things i wish i wouldn't have done um it's it's funny guy you know uh, God has a plan for you, and you can follow it, or you don't follow it, or you can take a and run. Um, one of the things I would have done different was um, turn to Christ a lot sooner, turn to God I mean, as his my as my foundation, as 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 my Lord, as my guide. Um, I wish I would have turned to Him when I was eighteen, when I was fifteen, when I was thirteen. My whole life, obviously, would have been different. And much more, I believe, uh, glorious for him, and much more rewarding. But the great thing is, um, we're all human, and we make mistakes. And and everything I did led me to where I am now, and can be used to help others uh, at a spiritual level, uh, finding Christ, or, or in my passion for music. Um, so I really wouldn't take anything back, except I wish I would have turned a little sooner. But um, like I said, God can restore anything, and He has, and I'm proof of it. And if you knew my my whole story, you'd be more amazed than 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 I am actually. That's pretty. Then cool. I'm even sitting here doing what we're doing right now because He's He's really He knows my heart, He knows my dreams, and He's helping fulfill them. But I'm I'm listening too. I you know I, I read a book, uh, John Verveer. That's one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called Good or God. And it took me a long time to realize you can be doing things you feel are good and they're perceived good and they may be good, but are they the things that God wants you or has planned for you? Because those are the things that ultimately change lives and things like that. So I've been kind of looking at that too in my decision making, right. you know, 
um, and which lead me led me into TSA. I love we love helping and mentoring and sharing mm-hmm. knowledge and helping people, and and you're helping yourself every time you do it. You're planting seeds. You know that's the way life is. Right, right. So I I think that's my main thing. Um, I probably would have loved to have moved to Nashville sooner. I think if I would have moved when I was gonna move, uh, but I'm not gonna give up my family and and the things we were going through at the time but i know things would have been different career wise but then it wouldn't have made me the person i am now because when i right before we moved out here i got water baptized uh and reconfirmed my commitment mm-hmm. the year we we're going to move out here and that wouldn't have happened back in michigan yeah it just wouldn't have so everything has worked out really well what was the what was the changing moment that kind of steered you back towards uh well uh my wife helen um she she's when when we first met we met on a i forget it was a dating site this was my my second marriage um i think it was freedinner.com i mean because that's what well that's what it seemed to turn out to be okay (laughs) Ah, that's funny (laughs) that's funny i like that (laughs) but i think i think it was match something i can't remember but uh i met her on there and i was a different person when i met her and she 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 gave her life to christ at a very young age and i just started seeing what she was doing how kind she was i had so many things going on it was such a tough you know, my son and we lost a home and we're trying to recover and we're trying to, and she was so kind. And she, she really through example, I, I just started saying, man, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to be like Mike, you know, I want and, uh, she actually was a turning point in my life, brought me to Christ. And, um, as soon as we moved out here, uh, we got married, you know, on a Tuesday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we lived in different parts of Michigan, but we'd date and see each other in between. And, and when we came out to, to, to see if we wanted to live here, we went to a church called uh, Long Hollow. Yep. And um, it was there, like, I heard the whisper, go, this is your time. Yeah. So, and that was life changing. Are y'all still there? Uh, we've, uh, it's a little bit of a drive for us. Okay, yeah. We love the church, but we've kind of moved around um, trying to find our niche. Yeah. And, we're at um, a different church now called Ethos. I just, uh, I, where I played cards, I was telling mm-hmm. you, I think seven of the guys all go there, you know, because mm-hmm. they were, it was up towards, it was in Hendersonville. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of them. Because we used to go to that big, big building across the street over here. Um, two Rivers. Two Rivers? Yep, okay. right over across the street. And oh, now, yeah, yeah. Now it's a Catholic, um, Catholic. Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of the same story. My wife, uh, we, she pulled me, she pulled me away from a path that I probably would have regretted. You know, mm-hmm. I would have at the time thought it was really fun, but probably would have had some regrets. So, luckily, she uh, she had some some good foundations as well. Yeah, yeah so I'm thankful so. for her. Um, Very cool. So, uh, how about focus? Um, what can you what can you what advice could you give to uh, keep the squirrels? out of your life <laughs> yeah i like the word squirrel yeah the, the, the nuts yes yeah. um actually the squirrels drive you nuts kind of right because right. if you that's focus right. too much on the squirrels you can't you can't accomplish anything and then you yeah. go nuts there's a couple of things i try to i have to revert back to when i lose my way because there's ups and downs in career and spiritual everything um but one is i uh you know um 
you work uh, your work towards heaven. I mean, that's that's your goal. And and when I've, I I play a lot, I do uh, I play for um, a lot of different places every month. I support the senior community, and uh, it's very difficult sometimes in the settings. But I always it's always an audience of one. And no matter what you're doing, what what job you have, or if you're doing it for the passion, if you're you're, you're doing it good works for the Lord, I mean, well, you know what I mean. Yeah. If, if you're if that's your focus, then you can do any any kind of job and get through anything. So, those are a couple of things. And I, I try not to go towards the door either. The door, right. Door of temptation. Yes. You know, don't even. You know, it's one thing you like to test yourself. Oh, I'm going to be fine. But now I've learned you don't even go near the door. Mm-hmm. And so I'm keeping the door way over there. Now your door is rather close, but I think we're yes, safe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so so focusing upward and keeping perspective keeps kind of the focus on yeah. what you're. Your, Work towards uh, my heavenly goals. How about just the daily details, the daily struggles of, of you know, um, life, uh, um, keeping the squirrels out, you know? Yeah, um, I just don't pay attention to um, the little things as much. I, I get upset like anybody, but, you know, I've, I, I give, I've, I give every, it's hard to explain. Well, it's not hard to explain. I just put it all at the foot of the cross. My worst thing when I came to Nashville that I had to work on and, you can't do it on your own, so. But I tried to. Con- it was driving the, the traffic around. <laughs> it was the worst thing, and I all I do is drive for my job. Right. And right. It was like I was the worst place I could ever be. It was in my car. I was like, I felt bad. I have a bumper sticker that says "Go God" on the back because oh my, someone saw me. It's got that guy off. Um, but I've learned now to make that like my. Uh, my relaxation place now. So, did you say that intentionally to try to convict me? Like, uh, about of the driving? Oh, yeah. yeah. How yeah. Um, I, many friends <laughs> have said, why don't you put a sticker, you know, a little fish? And I was like, I don't want to make him look bad. That's right. I, I don't want <laughs> to. Get... Even though I still think I'm the best driver out there, you know. There's no doubt I know more than anybody on the road. I've No, actually, you don't know <laughs> more than me, though. I mean, you are older, so maybe you do have a little bit more wisdom. But uh, Well, let's put it this way. We are in Tennessee, and no offense to the drivers out there, but a hint of rain, and they not handling and you it well. can't, and, and then how about the snow yeah. we had the other day? It was Shut like... Shut down for a week. I, I, yeah, I had... And I, I used to... I used to vent a little bit more on Facebook, you know, with driving. Yeah. But then I'm like, ah, you know, everybody knows I'm a little annoying and I get annoyed with, with drivers. But yeah, so I got some new tires for my forerunner. Oh, and a um, car. Yeah, thanks. And um, so, man, it handled the snow like like a champ. But I'm cruising normal speeds and mm-hmm. uh, people are just, just rolling. And half the time, there's not even snow on the road. Yeah. And, uh, and I would watch them turn. And my thought is, is like, you know, you're going so slow, you couldn't even spin your tires, <laughs> you know, much less slide into something. I think they got them scared that they heard about the black ice, you know. Yeah, actually, a buddy of mine just told me a story um, in, in Springfield, and he said that he literally, it was like one of those moments where people are sliding and stuff, and mm. apparently it was just a spot where you couldn't tell. Yeah. And he's like this truck with a boat came like eight inches from him and he was just oh like gosh. but you know the one thing i told him in which i would imagine um if you would call yourself a good driver is he was looking way ahead so yeah. he saw it before it was happening the was kind of mentally prepared system yes ten how'd you two. do that did you did yeah. you drive or something yeah 10 and 2 I well so when i was with uh um jb hunt i managed truck drivers mm-hmm. and actually funny thing 
totally going off track, but uh, I could get to talking about driving. But I, uh, um, I took the, they had this Smith system training. And so all the guys in the office are like, oh man, Andrew, who's a terrible driver, this and that. And so we all had to do a ride along in order to, um, you know, train drivers. Mm -hmm. And so as you're driving, you have to say, I see this, I see that. There's a car coming up here. And out of all the guys, I did the best because <laughs> I'm a very defensive driver. <laughs> so anyway, so that was a that was something you had to overcome. I think that is probably the way uh, you could sum up keeping the squirrels out. Yes, the Smith system. Yes, keep your eyes on ah. the road, keep it out ahead, have it's some big foresight, picture. the big picture, because uh, there's so many little things that are distracting. Um, You're right. It's, it's so crazy, and it's just. Sometimes I even say to myself, first world problems, right? You know, that type of thing. But I think the Smith system would be a good way to live life. Yeah. Keep yeah. your eyes out, look ahead, confident. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like that. We'll have to, uh, I'll have to read the Smith system, actual five keys. Um, it's just a little weird keeping your hand in a 10 and 12 position when you're just see, walking through town. I could never do that, though. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I remember a long time ago when we would go to the beach with my uh, mother in law. And she literally a couple of times, she's like, I, I, I really wish you would drive with two hands. And I was like, I can't. It's hard. Like, I fight. I fight. And, like, yeah. and so I've never. It's the sixth position and the other hand's resting. Yeah. You know, now I'm not one that hangs it over the, the you know, the steering wheel right. like that with the fingers over there. I usually am <clears> down, <throat> down below. Um, that's funny. So, and I think you kind of hit on this, but um, actually what you did hit on that as far as like a daily, on a daily basis, how do you keep yourself going? In the moments, do you think you answered that? Mm. I think so. Okay, um, and I think too, if listeners are stuck, if fear is, well, I'll hit that. So, as listeners are hearing this, and they have, I don't know, dreams they want to pursue. In a lot of cases, fear is the uh, is something that's holding them back. I just talked to a guy the other night. And he was asking me about real estate and just didn't like his job. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, I, I kind of gave him my full perspective and how it was a journey. You know, it was weaning off a of salary and stuff like that to to get into to real estate. And um, and so we're talking, and you know, he's he's set as far as even financially to get into it. And so I'm like, what? What? Why are you not doing it? And he's like. Well, I'm just kind of afraid. I'm like, so do you think that's what you should, you know, get stuck stuck in fear? Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see what happens. But mm -hmm. obviously, so many do, and we all deal with it in different states. And um, but, what advice would you give listeners in the music industry um, or the business side? Because you've kind of done a little bit of both um, um, to overcome that. Yeah, I guess. I guess. No, I never had a lot of fear when it came to uh, music. Um, I just always felt that's what I was supposed to do, so I never felt like anything was ever going to go wrong. Um, I do know, though, uh, just as anybody from life experiences, you don't succeed unless you make mistakes. And um, even though they don't seem like mistakes at the time, um, you know, you get stronger uh, through errors or whatever you like to call them. Um, I've learned a lot being in different positions in music you know, having our own record label and, and then promotion. And then I, I there really fear. Yeah, you're right. Fear is fear is something that really doesn't exist. I mean, you make it. It doesn't really exist. There's nothing that you can say, well, there is fear over there. 
There's no such thing. It's something you make. So don't make it. <laughs> don't do it, right? That simple? Don't don't make it. Just be be have wisdom and pray for wisdom and pray for discernment and, and where you spend your time cuz but um don't don't step in don't walk in fear cuz there's really no there are no fear. I mean, you know, there's of course there's things with a guy and a gun pointing. Right, at, right. When you're talking about your your career and your your steps in life, um, you know, if you have the fear of God, then you probably don't have fear otherwise. You know, yeah, if yeah. That makes any sense. No, that does. Um, so. I didn't tie that into music, though, did I? <laughs> well, you didn't have to. I mean, yeah. it was just that was just fear. Yeah. Um, so from the great words of Timothy 4-7, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When your journey's over, what kind of legacy are you hoping to leave? Um, yeah, that's a good question. A tombstone type of thing, huh? And, you know, you got a new grandchild today. Yeah, is that amazing? Um, I would like my, my son, um, William, um, to be able to say, yeah, um, you know, he, my dad always had faith. Always, always, never lost his faith. Always pursued his dreams, um, even when things uh, stood in the way, always came out on top, you know, somehow. Um, I would like him to see that because um, it's a struggle for young people. He, he's in the military, you know, and he's, he's done so many amazing things in his life already. He's only 21. I don't want him to stop doing those amazing things or, or to let fear set in. Like, what if I don't, what if I'm not in the army, what am I going to do? And, and, uh, those, those things I would like to have operate not out of fear, out of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, operate out of faith, not fear, and that's what I would like people to remember. So at least it inspires them to do the same. Live out of faith, not fear. That's I think that would be it. Have people remember? Wow, well, that's how he. That's how he did it. That's how he was guided by faith, not fear. Mm-hmm. I think that would be it. And then, then it makes I never me, thought of it. But I think that would be. And it. it makes me think of your wife because you know people see that. And mm-hmm. you saw that in, uh, in definitely saw it in her, her, you know, um, definitely. And, and talk about people who don't live in fear. I mean, we moved out here and we didn't have a house and God provided us with a home. Three or four other people were looking at it. We had exactly amount of, of cash and you're not going to believe it. it came down to almost the penny that we had saved. Wow. Is what got us the house. Mm. But she knew it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. She's got, she says, God told me this is our home. I mean, and there was four, three or four other bidders. I forget how many. She, and she, she, never, she came out here and started a new job, uh, went back to school, started working as a physical therapist assistant. And then she gets hurt after four years. After all that work, rebuilding her career, and she can't go back to work. So what does she do? She starts painting. She's never painted before in her life. Started doing acrylics, and there were really cool, like Nashville-inspired local things with music and things tied in. And she just gave them away as gifts. She gave one to a friend of ours, Chad Jeffers. Loved it. Blessed him. Blessed. And she's blessing all these people. And now, so I thought, well, maybe you can. This is a career. She we didn't. She didn't think twice. And now she has her own store. 
over at the farmer's market. You see some of her product. You have some of it. You know, speaking of... And she did all that. Just, no fear. Yeah, just the artist part. I really like your hat. Who, well, who did that hat? That was my wife. Oh, Ellen. really? Oh. oh, you know what? I have one just like that. That's how I met you, right? <laughs> That's when right. I, and the boys the farmer's have, market. Yeah, the boys yeah. have some uh, some clothing attire that... Um, so how do you find her on, on the art artwork? And you stuff? can. Uh, we're in the middle of now. We're take. We've been in business together, but she's the uh, main uh, force behind it. What Helen does is she paints acrylic pictures, right? And then she scans them and she puts them on uh, functional clothing. Uh, we call it artware, and um, so everything you see. This hat was came from a painting, okay, which is actually cool. hanging up in a hotel. Really, she sold all her originals already, but we kept all the uh, digital stuff. And so she puts all her um, paintings on artware, and they're all so logolish looking. People love them. And she sells a ton of shirts and hats, and and we're looking at possibly a store to move into a permanent location. She sells at the farmers market now. It's called Helen's Pop Art, and but talk about no fear. I mean. Um, we're talking about we get the, you know I I don't have a real job I've never had one as a musician I kid about it but all of a sudden both of us don't have real jobs right <laughs> you know that paying job that she had that took care of everything I was doing and so but God provides and we're happier than we ever have been so what's the website for this stuff or is there a website she said or? we're building one now okay. it's going to be called sonash dot sonash dash um, Helen's Pop Art. Dot com, I believe is the thing. No, I'll, 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 I'll link yeah. it up. We're kind of rebranding it yeah. and stuff. So okay. Hey, are y'all still at the farmers market? Yeah, with the Nashville farmers market. Okay. And um, we do little things around town here and there, but she sells most of her product there, and yeah, it's been very cool. It's a good place. Yeah. Good food. Yeah. So now we'll do the uh, um, uh, we'll do the uh, Nashville okay. um, speed round. All right, so we're going to do a speed round. I'm going to ask you a list of questions, and you have exactly .01 seconds to answer. Um, Cat. And uh, what? it ahead of time. What? <laughs> and so, uh, all right, so I'm going to ask you some questions. Just all shoot right. me off an answer. Okay. Um, how long have you lived in Nashville? Six years. Where did you move from? Detroit, Michigan. Why? Uh, boy, uh, because, because there's nothing, <laughs> I don't want to say anything bad about Detroit. <laughs> What's that? Why is really, that's, that's kind of a, not a direct question, right? Uh, because so. to pursue a songwriting career to, to, there's none, there's a great musical community there, but there's not a songwriting community. Okay. Where is one of the most exciting places you visited? I, um, Nashville, but now I live here. And I think as we were talking earlier, you had mentioned something about, you haven't taken a long vacation? We got married here on a Tuesday. Um, the first week or so we moved here, I think it was. In fact, our, our anniversary's come up February 7th, honey, I'll, I'll remember. Um, and what was the question again? So it was <laughs> vacation. You've taken a oh, vacation? Oh, yeah. We haven't taken one because it's so cool here. Yeah. Really. So uh, you're working too hard. You need to take a vacation. I All think right. so. All Probably right. so. At least go to Hawaii sometime, at some point. Okay. Um, and um, favorite restaurant? Uh, Chick Fil A, and that's just because I can't think of anything else. But that, I, well, I like that's Chick Fil A. Good selection. Uh, favorite hobby? Uh, golf, and I, I ride bike. Nice. Like so you hit up the green, Greenway a lot. Mm-hmm. 
We have a little organization. In fact, I, I'll invite you if you'd like. It's called The Mob. It's Musicians on Bikes. Okay. And we ride every other day. Of course, there's only really one one member. I have two or three, but nobody shows up. But I'm there out there every other day. So. Oh, man, this weather would be great tomorrow. You I know, think it's supposed to be yeah. 60. We do 15 um, to 30 miles. It's a lot of fun. Really? Yeah, I think most of the time I get on the bike, I'm riding. And I, I actually, I've put in at the dam. Mm, and then yeah, come yeah. all the way downtown and sure. back, or just Shelby Park. <clears throat> and then the next day I can't walk um, <laughs> because I'm not doing it, it consistent enough. So what is, uh, what's your favorite app? Uh, I, gee, I'll, I'll say my wife's favorite app, Instagram. She loves, she loves Instagram. Okay. Post her pictures up there. What part of town do you live in now? And uh, why did you choose that location? Madison, which is about 10 miles from here north. Uh, one, because it was a, an affordable area, and there's pockets of really nice communities. And Madison's on its way back, like mm-hmm. a lot of Nashville. It was such an easy uh, in and out to get into Nashville, four or five different ways you can take. And plus, uh, that was the house that uh, God told my wife to buy, and that was hers. How about a local? Is there any local restaurants up there that, that come to mind that you like? You know, not not really in Madison. Um, that is surprising, actually. I'm surprised there hasn't been. I think that's something they're trying to do. I like Black Eyed Peas. Like we go yeah. there. That's more Hendersonville area. But, right. Yeah. Actually, have y'all been to um, Chef's Market in Hendersonville? Oh yeah. Okay, I do like that. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's now good. you're reminding me. Now that strawberry cake. Oh uh, man. Everything they got there is good. Yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. All right. Well, Mark, I've enjoyed it. It's fun. Um, lots of great insight. So if you're in the industry, music industry, and you're new to town, look up Tennessee Songwriters Association. Um, I don't know everybody, but I know Mark. And obviously you can take from the interview that uh, he's got a wealth of knowledge and wisdom in the music industry. So, uh, yeah. um, you know, first time I – actually, it was funny. <clears throat> when I met you at the farmer's market, um, you know, because you were in music and – um, oh man, I went blank. Who was the Who was the guy that had had across from you? Yeah, um, the, the missionary. Yeah, twenty five years. Um, and I'm not going to yeah. be able to throw that name out because I'm just the same with I, you. And but. I had coffee with him, and I'm terrible. Yeah. And I should be in the real estate. I should know. But anyway, so I came over there, and he's like, "Oh, you got to meet him." And then I told you, and oh man, you're like, I mean, I did your flash, and I'm thinking. No, I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, man, you could do this and this. I'm like, I know, I think that way all the time in the shower. And uh, I'm like, I don't need anything else in this brain. But it was fun. Yeah. But you know, good just hearing good you, idea. I'm like, man, he's got some. You oh. just pick your brain just a little bit, you know. Nice. And that's what you, you know. I think that's what you've got to. Um, I think it's good to be around people like that, you know, well, because I, they make you think outside of your box. I feel the same here. You have a great setup here. This is this mobile unit. Is really, really, really cool. Well, thanks. It looks, it's look good wherever you park. It looks great inside, and uh, we hope to get you to do more of these for yeah. our organization. We have a lot of great songwriters, a lot of up and coming young artists. Uh, we can give you a wealth of uh, talent to interview. That's awesome. And yeah. we all work together towards the same goal. I know, and you mentioned about the you know when you move the town, the networking part. I, I love it. You know, yeah. that's actually I would say probably last year I was so involved in projects that uh, I. I um, let the networking slack a little bit mm-hmm. and that's what I love doing so mm-hmm. um, well alright cool Mark well uh, again thanks for your time my pleasure thanks for having me alright Mark had some pretty fun stories in that episode 
It really is amazing the amount of talent in Music City. You might be at a Starbucks and never realize who's standing beside you with um, with some names that they could easily drop to impress you. Make sure to check out his wife's artwork as well, Helen's Pop Art. They usually have a booth at the Nashville Farmer's Market. She has some really cool artwork, Nashville skylines, and a lot of different stuff. I have a, a hat that I had purchased from them that I that I wear quite often. Stick around for a song as well that Mark played in the Rambler as he has a pretty cool story on how the song came about. Next week, I'll be sitting down with Derek Young. Derek has impacted millions of consumers and thousands of employees as a motivational speaker, leadership trainer, and corporate leader for some of the world's greatest organizations. I heard Derek speak at a Young Leaders Council class that I went through for like 12 weeks, and um, I knew once I kind of started this podcast or the idea was evolving that he was definitely one that I wanted to uh, sit down and have a conversation with. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes or any other podcast platforms you're using so you, you will be updated when new podcasts come out. I believe at this point I can say I will be releasing new episodes every Monday. You know, it's kind of a work in progress. I have quite a few episodes sitting out there, but trying to get them to my editor um, on a timely fashion is, uh, is the key. But I think going forward, Mondays will be the release day. Thanks again for tuning in to Nashville Untold. If you enjoyed the show, I encourage you to rate and review the podcast. I believe these Nashvillians are making a huge impact and have a ton of wisdom to share while sharing their story. The ratings and reviews help push the podcast out there even more. No, it's not about getting a ton of likes, but it's actually really about sharing their stories, as that's the main reason I am doing the podcast, to sit down with Nashvillians that are making an impact and uh, and sharing that with with you all. Make sure to check out the show notes for more details on Mark and um, ways to connect with him. Thanks again for your time. If you have not picked up on it by now, I am a realtor in Nashville with Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. And obviously, I sponsor this show. You can reach me at 615-973-7657 for any real estate needs in the Nashville and surrounding areas or if you are looking for a realtor in your market. Other sponsors of the show are Brandon Hutchison with Legacy Mutual Mortgage, and he would love to help you with any lender needs. He can be reached at 615-866-9468. And lastly, if you have any title or closing needs, give David Weber with Limestone Title and escrow a call at 615-730-7955. They close anywhere and anytime at no additional cost. And now, sit back and take a listen to a song Mark wrote, and he sings live in the Rambler. Oh, we were talking about original songs, and uh, which I'm going to play for you, but um, way back when, our, um, our family was on two shows. We were on the Gong Show in 1979, which we won, because you can't come home if you lose on the Gong Show. But the Star Search thing was, um, they judged a lot of things on originality. There was four categories, so I thought, why don't I write a song for the show? And uh, wrote the song, it's called You're the One, 
and uh, Ed goes to Ed McMahon goes to announce me, but he in the rehearsals he couldn't get my name right. Barnakowski, Baranowski, Barninowski. How could he not? Do I know that? you Why did it so. Not? You did it so perfect. <laughs> so I said, "Okay, Ed." Well, I didn't actually say Ed. He wasn't a friend, but I said, "Why well, you just use my middle name, Edwards?" Oh, it's actually Edward, but put an S on it. He says, okay. And then he was supposed to announce that this was an original song, which would have really helped. But he was so, I think, focused on the name, he forgot. So he just introduces Mark Edwards from the family group Relation. I go, oh, the original song is supposed to, I'm going to lose now. I can't sing like Sam Harris. You know, those, those guys were going, ooh, somewhere over the rainbow and crazy stuff. Anyway, that leads us to this song, many years later. Uh, my wife gave me the idea for this while we were having a spaghetti dinner on a Wednesday night. And um, I don't eat spaghetti like most people. I, I put it in a bowl and I throw my head down there and I, I'm just down there like a dog. And <laughs> I don't look up, take a breath until I need, until I'm done. And she's staring at me and I go, can I help you? She goes, yeah, you know what, honey? She goes, sometimes it's hard watching you be you. And I almost cried, just like you right now. You're almost crying, aren't you? <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'm going to make that a love song. She goes, go ahead. So I wrote it with uh, Corey Lee Barker and Dale Allen. And uh, it's actually getting cut. should be on the radio, I'm, I'm told, anyway, a couple months from now. It's called Watching You Be You. I like the moon dipping down on the ocean I like the magic of a smoky mountain sky I like the Sarasota sunset dancing as the clouds pass by I like the smell of the sweet magnolia When it blooms in the morning dew Oh, but I love, love, love Watching you be you You in line with a perfect stranger Walk away with a new best friend You send me out for a movie Fall asleep before it even begins You like more cream than you do coffee Breakfast in the afternoon Oh, I love, love, love Watching you be you I like a ballpark dog on Sunday I like the top down back roads drive I like bowling with the boys on a two-for-one Saturday I'll take the shortcut through the church lot No, I can't get home too soon Cause I love, love, love watching you be you You in line with a perfect stranger Walking away with a new best friend You send me out for a movie Fall asleep before it even begins You like more cream than you do coffee And breakfast in the afternoon Oh, I 
Even in a crowd you'll start singing Too loud and out of tune Oh, I love, love, love Watching you be you Baby, do what you do I love, love, love Watching you be you Watching you be you And now every time I hear that I'm gonna think of you sticking your face <laughs> in the bowl True story though, I looked like a fool, but I can't help it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time.